the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, whatever they may be, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life. All you have to do is provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email your questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Everything is hands-free. Just hit one button. Call now at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Well, let me get right to questions today. We don't have anything going on on Tuesday. Um, So here is our first question. This is from our email inbox, and it is anonymous. Uh, Pastor Ron, I went to some friend's house for the first time. They are Christians who attend my church. When I entered their house, I saw a crucifix on the wall, a Catholic crucifix. I asked about it, and my friend said it's there to remind him of what Christ did for him so that he can remain thankful for what Jesus did for him and his wife. Uh, Even though I understand his meaning, I don't think it's the right way to represent the totality of what our Lord Jesus did for us by his death and resurrection. I prefer the look of the empty cross as how Christ rose um, so that I could live. Am I off on this? No, Anonymous, you're not off. Now, you're a little bit off and maybe just in the sense that you're expecting everybody to, to view things the same way you do. Uh, a crucifix is certainly, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, an incomplete picture. Um, it's very Catholic. I am pretty certain that your friends uh, grew up Catholic and, and uh, sometimes traditions and old habits are hard to break. Um, and, and well, I would tell him if he asked me, well, you know, that's really a misrepresentation of the total work that Jesus did. Hey, if that helps you be grateful, then go for it. But, um, you know, we can't expect people to agree with us or to practice uh, our faith the same way that we do. Again, it's wrong in the sense that it, it misrepresents, underestimates, uh, again, the totality of what Jesus did. Um, but the reality is, in, in churches, he goes to your church, in churches there are a lot of people who are very immature about their faith. Very immature about their faith. And the result is things like this. They hold on to old traditions that really don't have any value at all. But I'm grateful that he is uh, thankful for what Jesus did. Um, I would educate him a little bit nicely about uh, why an empty cross would do the same thing that remind you of what Jesus did, but then remind you of the total victory that we have over sin. And uh, and then I would just leave it at that and pray for him. 
But um, you'd be surprised at how many people in churches really don't read their Bibles. They really don't follow uh, doctrinal issues uh, closely at all. It's just sort of, I go to church, and uh, Jesus was on the cross, and I'm saved, and and all of that. So I I think this is a sign of immaturity, um, but um, don't be judgmental toward them. And since you prefer the look of the empty cross... um, you can worship Jesus with an empty cross. So that's the best I can do, Anonymous, but thank you very, very much for the question. We have to give people grace. Here is a question from Jill from our email inbox. Uh, Does Peter mean that we must be baptized to be saved in Acts chapter 2, verse 38? And of course, Peter says there, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jill, he does not mean that at all. Uh, This is one of the verses. uh, There's another one. Uh, as well, but this is one of the verses that people say you have to be baptized to be saved, they cling on to. But we have to remember the Jewish context of Peter's message. His entire audience was Jewish, and baptism was a sign of repentance. And that's why he says, repent and be baptized. You remember when John the Baptist was at the Jordan River, and the whole countryside came out to him. They were in uh, being baptized in repentance. And so what Peter is simply saying to Jews who would understand it best this way is repent and be baptized, not to get saved, but because you are saved. And so that's what Peter was doing. Now you're no longer holding on to those Jewish traditions. So repent and come to faith in Jesus Christ. We know the Bible in its totality speaks about our salvation being by grace through faith. That's important, Jill. No baptism. There's nothing else. Um, um, repent and believe, Paul says. And yet he says, uh, those of you who believe, he doesn't say uh, be baptized. So uh, all we have to do is believe, receive Jesus Christ, and repentance is part of it, turn from our sins. Once more, Jill, Peter, because his audience was Jewish, because Jews understood the baptism of repentance, uh, that's why he would have connected the two. But no, we don't have to be baptized We should be baptized, not to get saved, but because we are, because Jesus said to be baptized. Uh, And since uh, he said to do it, we ought to be obedient, but it isn't uh, a necessity in being saved. I had a similar question uh, yesterday uh, on the program as well. You know, one of the problems with people that get baptized, whether it's infant baptism in the Catholic Church or uh, people like the Church of Christ that say you have to be baptized, uh, they equate baptism with salvation. And the idea there is just get wet and then you don't have to do what God tells you to do. And, And certainly that's not a biblical teaching at all. Thank you, Jill. I appreciate the question. Here is a question. This one is from Randy. He says, I'm struggling with being single. I'm lonely. I've asked God to bring a wife, but he hasn't done so yet. Um, Randy, you're in a, a, a big pool of people. There's a lot of people who struggle with being single. Now, let me say this. God said it wasn't good for man to be alone. And that's mankind. So it's not good for men or women to be alone. So marriage is a good thing, a godly thing. Now, sometimes people that struggle with being single, uh, they're not doing very well in their struggle. And certainly God can't trust you with somebody, Randy, that he loves if you're struggling uh, with holiness, if you're struggling with pornography or something like that. Uh, If you're just lonely, Um, then let God prepare you. One of the things I try to tell people all the time in your circumstance is that God, he's the one who's put that desire in your heart. It's not good to be alone. God put that desire in your heart, and he wants to fulfill that desire. But what you've got to do now is delight yourself in the Lord. Um, Right now, if you're really lonely, uh, perhaps you put too much pressure on a woman to to satisfy your needs or to to take you away from being lonely. And Randy, God is trying to prepare you to be the spiritual leader of your household when, in fact, he brings a woman to you. So here's what I would do if I were you. I would really sit down with the Lord with an open Bible and say, Jesus, show me where I'm missing it. Am I failing? Am I not... Am I not being faithful? Am I not walking in holiness? Um, am, I, am I pinning my hopes on a person rather than on you? 
And if the Holy Spirit convicts you, that's when you say, Jesus, forgive me for looking for for my needs to be met by another person. You're the only one that can meet my needs. And then just ask him, Lord, prepare me to meet the needs of the person who will come into my life. So, Randy, that's the most important thing I can tell you. God is preparing you for the woman that he is preparing for you. And all we have to do is walk with Jesus. I don't know where you're looking. I don't know if you're on these dating apps or what. Uh, I, I don't know any of that. I don't have that kind of information. But here's the thing. Just walk with Jesus and let him bring the woman that he has for you into your life. Now, I realize that so many people who are single are lonely, and they're trying really, really hard. Uh, I believe with all of my heart, Randy, that when people are trying really hard on their own to find somebody, God is going to frustrate that because God simply wants us to say, Jesus, you bring somebody to me. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to learn all I can about you. I'm going to get so close to you. Lord, you bring somebody to me who loves you as much or more than I do. So, Randy, I hope that helps a little bit. I I know it's not good. Um, God frustrates our plans when we're trying to do things our way. And uh, because you didn't give me any more information, I don't know how that applies to you. Felice, oops, I got a phone call. Hold on, let me go there first. I've got Greg from Bulverde on line one. Greg, good to hear from you. Thanks for calling. You're on the air. Pastor Ron. Uh, hey, listen, I got a couple of questions. You want me to do them, give them to you both at the same time or sure. one at a time? Okay, first question is if you can kind of give me, a, I guess, an understanding of how the BC and AD uh, time frame works with the years and how that coincides with, with Jesus' birth and crucifixion, resurrection, and all that. Because uh, I know it's not exactly the you know, the same date. It wasn't like this year. Okay, this one Christ died. Boom. So there's, there's. A, I'm just kind of confused on how that fits together and when, what the history is behind it when that started. Second question is, uh, I started doing a, a really, really extensive study. I mean, head first into really studying and understanding the work of the Holy Spirit. And never got into this deep before ever in my life. Although I've, I've had, you know, Holy Spirit speak to me before in the past, but it's been quite a while. And um, uh, through this, my my prayer language has returned, mm. uh, speaking in tongues. All this is, has come back, and I haven't done that in decades. And and it was about three Sundays ago. Uh, Holy Spirit definitely woke me up a little early, and it's like you said, we need to talk. He gave me some specific information, and, and I won't go into all the details of it, but uh, he told me exactly what to pray, what needs to be done, and I asked him, okay, uh, can you give me some confirmation to make sure I'm hearing you right and I'm truly hearing from God, not the enemy? And he did con- come back and confirm it it's very, very specifically. I mean, it's just like this cannot be anything other than mm-hmm. you know, Holy Spirit. So other than that, I've been praying what he's told me to pray. I've been really uh, consistent in my prayer time and and uh, you know studying uh, how he works in our lives. And I'm just I mean just I've been devouring everything, get my hands on. It's just been it's amazing. If, if I really encourage all the listeners, if they've never done that, they need to truly truly understand the place that the Holy Spirit has in our in our life and how he wants to function in our life. He's not just a, a force. He's, he's a person who is here on earth working with us and wants to hold our hands through this life. So anyway, other than, you know, praying specifically like you told me to, um, you know, other than just being patient, is there anything else I should be looking for or doing, you know, during this time? Yeah, Greg, thank you. I'm going to spend a lot of time on that that part of the question. Uh, I'll get to the B.C. and A.D. first. I don't really know a bunch of the history about that, but I'll I'll give you what I've got. But let me say first that, that it's so thrilling to hear people that really want to get in touch with the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the things that we forget, and you mentioned that he's not a force, he's a person. He's actually Christ in us, the hope of glory. You know, Jesus, when he was getting ready to leave uh, his disciples, he, he just said, you know, 
um, uh, I won't leave you as orphans. I'm going to sin, and this is literal Greek, uh, I'm going to send you another me, and he will be in you. Uh, Jesus earlier had promised he'd be with them even to the end of the age. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, physically that wasn't the case. But but spiritually, the Spirit of God, Christ in them, the hope of glory was there. And I think we so frustrate the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives because we're not open to receiving gifts. We're not open to to really seeking the Lord. You know, he says he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And what we need to do is is really, as you have done, uh, just just put yourself out there and say, okay, Lord, I want everything that you have for me. We need to throw away our biases and 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 uh, the things that we're a little nervous or afraid of, and just let the Holy Spirit do what He's going to do. Now, one of the things that you will learn through this process is discernment. And Greg, this is the one thing, and, and I'm, I'm being a little presumptive here, but, but it would seem to me like in this process, you asking for confirmation, the Holy Spirit is teaching you the discernment you're going to need to sort of separate the wheat from the chaff. You know, First uh, John chapter 4, verse 1 says, brothers, test the spirits because not every spirit is from God. And we test it with the Word of God. So as you're digging into the Word of God, you're going to have the discernment necessary to know. Uh, and, and, and really, the, the request for confirmation uh, eventually won't be necessary because you'll recognize the voice of the Lord. So you just keep pressing in. God wants to do so much um, uh, in you and through you. And uh, that you would confess to him that, you know, I've, I've neglected my prayer language for decades, you said. And, and now, Lord, I want everything. Greg, he's preparing you to, to do something. He's preparing you uh, to give extra gifts. He's preparing you for some specific ministry. I don't know. But here's the thing. You will know when you need to know. And in the meantime, you just dig in and get as close to the Lord as you possibly can and you practice walking in his presence every day. You pray in your in, in English and, and you pray in your prayer language and just take that time and uh, with your Bible open, uh, wait and see what the Lord is going to do. But this is thrilling for me as a pastor to hear anybody who wants to really dig in. And then I want to say this. As believers... One of the things I think that we take for granted uh, to the point of we forget about it. Uh, I think a better word is we ignore it. We ignore the person in the presence of the Holy Spirit because we think we're okay. We get up and we go through our, our, our routines and, and, and typically Christians are not saying, Lord, I need your power every day. Fill me overflowing with your spirit. And Greg, what I would like to see from you is that you stay that hungry, um, you know, every day. My my routine begins with uh, asking Jesus to be with me in the person and the power of the Holy Spirit because I confess to him, Lord, I can't do anything but, but mess things up apart from your power. Now, I know stuff and I can do stuff, but at the same time, I, I still struggle with this flesh. I need my flesh to die so that Christ in me can live and thrive. And um, I, I just need to be reminded, I, I, and I actually remind myself every day that I can't do anything apart from you, Lord, except cause difficulty. So fill me overflowing. I don't want to miss anything. I want to experience everything that you have for us. And I pray that for Paula as well. And uh, I think it's really important. And I think you're in a really exciting time of your walk with the Lord. So I'm excited about this, Greg. Thank you very, very much for sharing that. The ACDC, you know, I've never bothered. It's just not important to me. I've never really bothered uh, with with studying the history. On I said ACDC, not ACBC. BCAD is what I meant. Uh, my producer's laughing at me. And I wasn't a metalhead either, so it wasn't that at all uh, growing up. But but the, the BCAD... Um, was just a commonly accepted um, way to, to formulate um, time. Um, you know, in, in the Bible, there's there's markers for time that, that we can identify when these things happen. The Bible is not a history book, but whenever it reports on history, it's accurate. 
and, and the cross has always been, and it was commonly accepted by everybody until we get in this current age, the, the modern era, uh, we're told. Um, it was commonly accepted that the cross was at the center point of history. People born before the cross looked forward to it to get saved. The people born after looked backwards at it with historical evidence to get saved. And it was just a way of dividing the history. Uh, it's, it's only been in the last couple of decades where uh, BCE has been included because God forbid anybody should mention Christ. Uh, but, but, but it just proves that Jesus has always been sort of the center of all things. Uh, that would be a real easy thing to look up, Greg. Uh, I just have never thought it necessary to do it. I can tell you that I think, and this is uh, based on my research, I think the evidence for Jesus being born in 4 BC is pretty solid. And, and being crucified in 32 AD I think it's really solid. The Coming Prince is something by Sir Robert Anderson that I could recommend to you. Uh, there's a lot of detail there. Um, so, I, again, that's the, 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 the research I've done. Uh, Jesus was born about 4 B.C. and was uh, crucified in 32 A.D. Uh, the triumphal entry the week before he died was uh, April 6, 32 A.D., as it corresponds to our calendar. Uh, and the only thing I can think of for the 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 B.C. reference to his birth uh, is that uh, the Jewish calendar um, had less days in it than than the the Roman calendar. Uh, and then you'd, you'd have to do uh, some research on that. So, Greg, thank you very, very much. And keep me posted how how you're doing. I, I I'm thrilled when I hear people who are really into receiving everything that God has. Great question. Felicia asks this, are all humans children of God? The Bible says he knew us before we were born and knits us together in the womb. Um, no, uh, Felicia, all humans are creations of God. Now, obviously, there are only two humans that God created personally, his own touch or his own finger, the finger of God. He made Adam and he made Eve, uh, made Adam from nothing. He made Eve from Adam's side. Uh, and uh, they, they were creations of God. The rest of us, Felicia, we are uh, creations of God via the process uh, of, of, um, of birthing the way we understand it. Um, but to be a child of God, um, you got to be like Jesus. In other words, you got to be perfect. And since we can't be perfect, that only leaves one alternative. It means you got to be adopted. And all humans can be adopted by God. Paul writes, we've been given the spirit of adoption that allows us to cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. And you do that by becoming a believer in Jesus Christ. So, you know, when people say, well, we're all children of God and we need to get along in religion and, and, and what you do in lifestyle, doesn't, it, does, it makes a big difference. Because God adopts those who will say yes to his offer of forgiveness of sins. So, no, we're not children of God. We're creations of God. But here's the thing. We know that God is patient and willing that any should perish. He wants all of us to become his children. And the adoption process is so special. You know, Felicia, I mentioned this in a study I did a couple of weeks ago here on a Sunday. Uh, I, I just wanted the people here at Calvary Chapel to realize how special it was to be chosen by God. I mean, think about that. I, when I got saved, my life was such a mess. I wouldn't have chosen me. But God chose me. And not only did he chose me, he gave me the spirit of sonship. I became an heir, a joint heir with Christ of everything that he has. And that's how I became a child of God. Adopted, he wasn't stuck with me. He actually wanted me. He loved me. And he chose me. And Romans 8.29 is so special for me, Felicia, because Romans 8.29 says, and I'm going to paraphrase it for this context, um, God decided to love me because he knew I was going to choose him one day. And no matter how horrible the things I did were, no matter how hard I tried to get him to change his mind before I got saved, he refused to change his mind. That's how much he loves me. 
And because of that, I am a child of God. I think we have time for one more question. This is an easy one. This is from Anna or Anna. Um, are Catholics saved? If they're born again, Anna, they're saved. If they're not born again, they're not. You're not saved by being a Catholic. Going to church doesn't save you. It doesn't matter whether it's Catholic church or any other church. What saves you is believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and God the Son by repenting of your sins, being aware that you're a sinner and you need help, you need to be rescued because you're lost, believing that Jesus is the Son of God and God the Son. He proved that by not staying dead when they killed him and then surrendering our hearts to him. Jesus, you're in charge now. That's what it means to be born again. And one of the problems with religions, whether it's Catholic or any other religion, um, too many of us don't think we need to be saved because, hey, I'm a good Catholic, or, hey, I go to Calvary Chapel. It doesn't matter. The only thing that saves us is being born again. Jesus told the most religious man in Israel, Nicodemus, that except a man be born again, he will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's a question to ask on it. If you've got Catholic friends or family that you're paying for, are you born again? Take them to John chapter 3, and they'll see the need. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Tuesday show. We'd love your calls, 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday show. We love your calls. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Cindy. Oh, I'm glad. Um, You know what? On Sunday, I was curious about when uh, Paul and Barnabas were witnessing and preaching to the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, the Jews got all in a big huff, and I can understand where they were having issues, you know, because a lot of, uh, because Jesus was, or the message was kind of letting them know, you know, how, how, um, how out of line they were, but what I can't understand is why did the Gentiles get upset and chime in with some of the Gentiles, chime in with the Jews to to cause a, a ruckus? Because I would think the Gentiles would have been thrilled to because they weren't allowed in the synagogue, so the Gentiles should have been absolutely thrilled that they were hearing the word of God, and and I just didn't understand where they were coming from that they that they were uh, causing problems too. So I'll get off the phone and listen on the radio. Thank, Thank you, you, Cindy. Bye. Appreciate the call. Uh, Cindy is referring to the Bible study they did this past Sunday in the book of Acts. And Cindy, this is going to be a pattern now throughout the rest of the book of Acts. Uh, you're right. The Jews didn't want their religious traditions changed. They didn't want their way of life changed. And Jews hated Gentiles. Gentiles hated Jews. So you wonder why would they get together in opposition? And I said on Sunday, it's sort of the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend thing. And and they were. Now, the problem with the Gentiles is, and this again will be consistent throughout the rest of the book of Acts, is that when people turn from the worship of worthless gods, and remember in that Greek culture, there was a pantheon of gods. They believed in hundreds, if not thousands of gods. And so there was a lot of business, a lot of commerce that was done um, making these idols and and uh, uh, there just a lot of money to be made. So what I said on Sunday is uh, the Jews didn't want their traditions touched and the Gentiles didn't want their wallets touched. And so that was the motivation for opposing Christ. And it's interesting because some 2,000 years later, uh, that's pretty much still the reason that people reject Jesus Christ. Either I don't want my tradition touched, it's what I've always believed, and uh, I'm, I'm not going to change. Or, well, I don't want to be inconvenienced. I don't want to. I don't want to have to get rid of things or stop doing some things. I certainly don't want it to affect my job, um, my career. So uh, that's why, Cindy, it's just they didn't want their money touched. Uh, this same issue with Gentiles is going to cause Paul a lot of trouble as we go through uh, the rest of the book of Acts. 
So good question, Cindy. Thank you very much. It just shows she was listening in church on Sunday. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Hope asks, was Jesus indwelt with the Holy Spirit? A uh, hard question to answer definitively, uh, Hope, because uh, pro- probably hard only because it's hard to explain. Um, uh, Jesus was not indwelt with the Holy Spirit until um, his baptism. And we read, uh, we read in, in uh, the gospel accounts, and when he went out to John's baptism, was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. And from that moment forward, Jesus was indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Uh, now, remember, his, his relationship to God, the Holy Spirit, was, was way different than ours because Jesus was himself without sin. So he was God, he was perfectly holy, so he didn't need the Holy Spirit to keep him holy. The purpose of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life was to tell him what the heart of the Father was. Remember Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father do, I only say what I hear my Father say. There were times when Jesus would say, my hour has not yet come, and then at the wedding in Cana, uh, at the banquet there, um, the Holy Spirit spoke to his heart and said, your time is now. And that's when his ministry really was launched uh, publicly. Um, and, and so he, he, he was indwelt with the Holy Spirit, I think in part, I think in part to demonstrate that we have access to the same person of the Holy Spirit. And talking with Greg in the first half of the program, um, I said that, you know, we quench the Holy Spirit, we ignore the Holy Spirit, uh, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Imagine what it was like for the Holy Spirit when Jesus never said no. Jesus never grieved him. Jesus never argued with him. He wanted to do everything that the Father said, and the way he was in touch with the Father was through the Holy Spirit. So, yes, he was not the same way as we are in the sense hope that that he had um, no sin nature at all. So, uh, you know, we, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to resist sin and temptation. Uh, Jesus didn't need the Holy Spirit for that. He needed the Holy Spirit just for direction. And I love the fact that Jesus depended on the leading of the Holy Spirit um, to, to know what to do every day. He was just like me. You know, he could have pulled the God card and said, hey, I'm God, I don't need any direction. But but he did that as an example for us. That means that we can walk through this life the same way he walked through his life. Here's an anonymous question. Can you please explain what legalism is? Yeah, anonymous, I can. I don't know if you've been listening to our Galatian studies on Friday nights or if the question comes from another uh, motive. Uh, But legalism is going beyond what the Bible says. Let me give an example. There are Christians who will look at another Christian smoking and say, that's sin. You know, real Christians don't smoke cigarettes. That's legalism. Now, smoking cigarettes is disgusting and filthy, but it's not a sin. It's only a sin based on Acts, I'm sorry, Romans 14, 23, when, when uh, Paul writes that anything not of faith is sin. If God has been speaking to your heart and he says, get rid of the cigarettes, I've got work I want you to do, and you keep smoking, then it's a sin because the Holy Spirit has spoken to you. But to insist that everybody who smokes is sinning or everybody who drinks is sinning. Now, I can tell you that I wish the Bible said drinking is a sin. I've seen unbelievable damage done in people's lives, not only to themselves, but to their families because of drinking. Nothing good ever results from drinking. Nothing good ever. And and so it'd be so nice if I could say, the Bible makes it clear, don't drink. But it doesn't say that. It says being drunk is a sin, but drinking is not a sin. So if I were to get up in the pulpit because of my personal feelings about drinking and say, if you're drinking, that's a sin, you're going to hell, that would be legalism. Uh, I had a friend who, uh, in a conversation, he said, well, well, where do you stand on gambling? And I said, well, gambling for me is a sin, I can tell you, because that was a problem that I had before I got saved. But we can't say that gambling is a sin for everybody That's legalism. That's going beyond what the Bible says, trying to restrict somebody else's freedom 
Um, who are you to judge another man's servant um, it comes to mind here. Uh, we need to, to let God deal with his people, and he's going to be quite effective in dealing with people. If he wants somebody to stop gambling, he's going to say, stop gambling. So those are the kinds of things. Now, the problem with legalism is it can get really destructive. If you wear too much makeup, if your skirt is too short, um, that's sin. That's just legalists who are trying to inhibit your freedom. And when I uh, teach on Friday night this week, uh, we open with Galatians 5.1, which says, it is for freedom that we have been set free, um, with freedom not to sin, not the freedom to sin, but the freedom not to sin. We're free from um, having to give in to sin and temptation. And, uh, uh, you know, I think legalism sort of engenders, uh, I can do it. I'll try really hard kind of a spirit. And, of course, what we prove is we can't do it at all. So, Anonymous, that's what legalism is. And it is a blight. It is a blight on the church and uh, a, a destroyer of, of uh, fruit in Christian lives. Thank you for the question. Amber says, uh, Pastor Ron, how can we know for sure that the Bible is accurate and more valid than other religious books? Well, Amber, the way you can know for sure is to dig in and find out for yourself. There's all kinds of information out there, but rather than just have somebody tell you, yeah, it, it's it's accurate, uh, you got to find out for yourself. You know, I, I, I've told this many times on this program because I get this question a lot. Uh, it was the one thing I had to determine after I got saved. I had to find out if the Bible was true. Every time I had a question, people say, well, the Bible says I'm a logical man. And so when, when people say the Bible says, I had no idea. I'd never even opened a Bible before I got saved. So I knew I had to get a Bible. I had to dig in and find out if it's really God's word or if it's just a book written by men. I didn't understand how uh, men you know, thousands of years ago uh, could could write a, a book and, and, and it's written by God as well. So I had to find out. And Amber, it's the most important thing you'll ever do as a Christian. You've got to find out and let the Holy Spirit himself convince you once and for all. Now, I, I will answer your question, but, but I'm going to plead with you to really dig in yourself. Um, the archaeological evidence is overwhelming. The Bible is true. It's accurate. The, um, uh, the, 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 the effect the Holy Spirit's had in people's lives, the, the, the complete transformation of lives, that's overwhelming evidence. Um, the, 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 the spiritual change in people's lives um, the manuscript evidence uh, is overwhelming. Um, if you look to see if our Bible can be trusted, we have more pieces of, of manuscripts. We don't have the original autographs, but manuscripts throughout the history, you put them together and you come with, to the conclusion that our Bible has been passed down to us correctly translated. It is inerrant. It is without error. Um, uh, it is inspired by God, literally the, the breath of God pushing the pins of men. So we know that. And I think the, the sort of coup de grace here, Amber, is the prophetic value of the Bible. There's no other religious book that, that attempts to tell the future. None at all. So what we do is we um, look at the Bible and the prophecies. And if God misses on one prophecy, then we can't trust our Bible. We simply can't. So what I would ask you to do is dig in. Dig in. If 90%, and that's a rough number, Amber, if 90% of the prophecies have been fulfilled precisely as God said they would be, and remember, he's telling um, the history in advance, um, from, from from a point of time, he's going to tell the, the future, and he tells it pre with precision and perfection. Um, and, and the Bible is the only book that tries to do that. 
And because he can do that, then we can understand he's going to do it. Now, there's there's 10% of the prophecies in your Bible that haven't been fulfilled, roughly speaking. And all of those deal with the future. And I think we can make the logical connection that if 90% have been fulfilled completely and the only ones that have not been fulfilled completely deal with the future from our perspective, then we have a pretty good indication, um, rock-solid indication, in fact, that uh, the rest of those um, predictions, prophecies, are going to be fulfilled precisely as well. So what you've got to do, Amber, is dig in. Um, when I made the decision to find out for sure, uh, it took me uh, two and a half or so months so around that period of time. And I was reading everything I'd get my hands on. I mean, I was really digging in. I, I needed to know. It wasn't just I want to know. I absolutely needed to know. And after two and a half months or so of, of really finding out, there was a day. It was at a, a very liberal school of theology in Claremont, California. There was a day when I was in a room all by myself, books piled all around me. And, and I remember in that room, not, nothing weird happened, Amber. So, but, but it was as though Jesus were sitting across the table from me, sort of yawning, you know, okay, have you decided yet this is true? Is that enough evidence? And I just knew it was true. And Amber, this is so important. From that day forward, I never had a moment's doubt about my salvation. And I've never had a moment's doubt, not a moment's doubt, about the veracity of our Bibles. And that's enabled me to declare it directly, to declare it boldly, and know that I'm giving people the truth, the whole counsel of God. So, Amber, I can tell you it is, but until you know for yourself, let the Holy Spirit do this work. I promise you it will change your life. I mean, literally, it will change your life forever. 340-9585, here is a question, this one from Joyce. Uh, She says, do you have any tips for a young marriage? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just I do a lot of pre-marriage counseling. I had a lot of tips, probably not enough time to share them all. But but let me just make it simple. It's got to be focused on the person of Jesus Christ. He's got to be the reason that you're getting married. He's got to be the reason that uh, you're you're going to behave the way he instructs you to behave. Um, you've got to trust him by faith when he says, wives, submit to your husband. You've got to understand he's got your best interest at heart. Uh, our flesh doesn't want to hear that we have to submit to anyone, let alone this man who keeps making terrible decisions. Um, but you trust him. You learn that, that you do your part and the Lord will work on the other spouse. So uh, the the marriage has got to be focused on Jesus Christ. Let me say two things. One, Husbands and wives need to be in the Word together daily. Now, I know nothing happens every day. Life happens. But nearly every day, husbands and wives need to be in the Word together. Paula reads to me endlessly um, uh, because I can't see anymore. And and uh, um, the work God has done in our hearts. I, I mean, she loved me and trusted me. I love her and trust her beyond anything I ever could have imagined. But our hearts have been knit together even more, um, supernaturally so, because we're in the Word together. Um, it doesn't negate our need to be in the Word individually. The husband needs to be in the Word. The wife needs to be in the Word. But there needs to be a time. Remember, two become one in a Christian marriage. There needs to be a time when you're in the Word together and supernatural things happen. The Spirit of God working through the Word of God will knit your hearts together and you truly can walk in agreement. You know, Paul and I, many, many years ago, had made the decision to agree with Jesus. So if there's a difference of opinion in our household, if I want something or she wants something else, or we have agreed to let Jesus sort of be the last word. And, and because of that, how can we go wrong? Um, all I have to do is say, Lord, give me some direction. And he'll give me scripture. He'll tell me what to do. But it's simple. Love my wife the way Christ loved the church, giving himself up for putting her needs ahead of my own. And when we do that, 
um, a perfect marriage is is two people tripping all over one another to serve the other. And uh, it's got to be done in the person presence of Jesus Christ. So, Joyce, I hope that answers your question. Agree to agree with Jesus, be in the Word, and enjoy what he's going to do. Here's a question from Jean. Um, how can you help me forgive people I don't want to forgive? Um, well, Jean, you got to provide the willingness. Uh, that's just submitting to the will of God. Um, but I think I can help you because I've had uh, these situations uh, in 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 my past. You know, when I first got saved, there was a man who cheated me. Um, I had such an ego that I didn't think I could be cheated. He needed me so much, I kind of, and he cheated me. I mean, he just absolutely ripped me off, and and really cost me everything. At, at least that's what I thought at the time. And then I got saved, and um, God had called me to be a pastor, and He asked me to forgive that man. And and I said, What do you mean forgive him? He cheated me. He's ruined my life. And God said, But he brought you to me. And I argued with the Lord for a couple of weeks. Never a good idea. Um, but I remember I started praying for him. And I really wanted him forgiven. I, I God changed my heart. You know, the love of God, Romans 5, 5 says, has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, I had to learn to make a, a love withdrawal toward that man who was so... Uh, horrible to me. And as I prayed for him, he, the Lord began to change my heart toward him. And that's the only thing we can do. I tell my church all the time, Gene, that when you begin that process, you may have to pray through clenched teeth. Lord bless him. But, um, you know, if you keep praying consistently, God will give you his heart for that person. And then um, forgiving them becomes an easy thing because you realize that what you've done to God is much worse than what anybody's done to you, and God has forgiven you. And if God has forgiven us, who are we to withhold forgiveness from anybody else? Now, the emotional part of it's going to be tough, but you've got to really pray. This is work that only the Holy Spirit can do. Okay, we're inside five minutes now, so I don't think it's time for any calls. Here's a question from Georgia. Not Georgia the state, but Georgia a person. She says, now that I'm saved, what should I do about my old friends in high school? Um, Georgia, the book of Hebrews says um, um, that we're to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Uh, and, and a lot of times it's those old friends that are hindering our walk with the Lord. They're the ones trying to drag you back into the world. They're the ones inviting you out to drinks after work. They're the ones who are, 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 are smoking pot around you and using horrible language and things. And there's times that you just have to dump them. So here's what I would do, Georgia, and I think this is the easiest way to accomplish this. I think you go to your new friends and you tell them what's happened to you. You tell them, look, I love you guys. And I just met Jesus Christ. I got saved. I was born again. And my heart is so full now. And my the, my life, these burdens have just been lifted. My sins are forgiven. And because I love you so much, I want you in heaven with me. So I knew I had to share Jesus with you. And one of two things is going to happen. One is that maybe some of your old friends are going to get saved. More likely, they're going to say, oh, i got to go now, and and uh, you're, you're going to be on your own. But they will remove themselves from your life. Whenever they come to you, tell them about Jesus. Tell them what he's doing in your life. And, uh, and they will either get saved or they will ditch you. And then you don't have to worry about what to do. Paul writes that bad company corrupts good character. And that's always the case. If you keep these old friends, these old bad influences in your life, they're going to drag you away from that love and that, that, that feeling that you have right now. They're going to drag you away from him and drag you back into uh, your old life. So you've got to be really, really careful. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. That's how we can walk with Jesus. Great question, and it's really important, Georgia. You've got to 
surround yourself with the Word of God and with the people of God. And by the way, there's some really great new friends waiting for you. Get involved in a church. Um, um, make sure it's a good church, a Bible teaching church, solid Bible teaching church. Uh, serve at that church, and you're going to find a whole bunch of new friends that are going to help you in your walk with the Lord. That's what he intends. Um, Rudy says, and this will be my last one of the day, why do you think we need to go to church instead of watching online? I still listen to all the sermons. Um, church isn't about sermons, Rudy. And teaching the Word of God is is important, obviously. That's why we do it. But there's a fellowship factor. There's a power when God's people are together. And watching online instead of being a part of the fellowship that God tells you to be a part of is simply being a lazy Christian. And there's no blessings for a lazy Christian. It's that simple. Do not forsake the assembling together of the saints. That's Hebrews 10.25, and it's something that, that applies to all of us. So that's why you need to go to church. You go there not for you. You go there to be a blessing to others. You go there to use the gifts that God has given you. You go there to serve others instead of being served. And that's when the Spirit of God falls upon you, the, the gifts that God will give you, and it will change your life. So Rudy, don't be lazy. Get to church. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to the Tuesday show of the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I will be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.